What's up, shadowy sleuths? Welcome to Sinister Silhouettes, the podcast where we dive headfirst into the darkest corners of the human psyche. I'm Tasha Pierce, your guide through the twisted tapestry of true crime, unsolved mysteries, and paranormal phenomena. Together, we'll unravel these sinister silhouettes, shining a light on the darkness that can reside within the human soul. Please do me the honor of rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Sinister Silhouettes wherever you're listening. It's Sunday, June 18th, 2023. Let's take a little trip to Chicago, Illinois, shall we? The city is always buzzing, but this is Father's Day slash Juneteenth weekend. So many were out and about enjoying a long weekend of 82 degree weather and fun. But things sometimes turn ugly as summer ramps up in the big city. Today's case is one of those examples. Join me to find out all the ways a simple trip to snag a Chicago-style Polish can go absolutely wrong as we discuss the disappointing case of Carlisha Hood and Jeremy Brown. If you're from the Chicago area or have even visited, Maxwell Street Express is a restaurant with which you're likely familiar. It's a family-owned, walk-up-style eatery, popular for serving hot dogs, polishes, and burgers under an awning 24 hours daily. There are several locations throughout the city, but today's story takes place in the West Pullman neighborhood on the city's far south side. The south side of the Shire is considered one of the most dangerous and crime-dense areas in the country. Still, the allure of an authentic Maxwell Street Polish with its grilled onions and yellow mustard brings many to locations just like this one in the 116th block of South Halstead Street every single day and night. We can assume that allure is what brought the players in today's unfortunate tale face to face that evening. Carlisha Hood walked up to the awning and placed an order, leaving her 14-year-old son to wait for her in the car. As previously stated, this is a walk-up restaurant. There is no seating or inside for customers. At some point, while the patrons were waiting in line, a verbal altercation about God only knows what began. We know this because per usual, someone pulled out their phone and recorded it. There's also a surveillance video of this incident, but we don't learn about that until later. Anywho, this verbal exchange between Ms. Hood and Jeremy Brown is loud and vulgar. At one point, Mr. Brown, being egged on by his girlfriend and potentially emboldened by the cameras, issued a threat to Ms. Hood. Something to the effect of, if you say one more thing, I'm gonna knock you out. Now it was here that, depending on the video you watched, Ms. Hood verbally responded in some way and Brown attempted to make good on his threat. He threw a punch, striking Ms. Hood in the face. In the original video footage that I viewed, seconds later, a shot rang out and the clip ends. What we learn occurred at that moment is Miss Hood's 14-year-old son produced a handgun and shot Jeremy Brown. What happens next is according to various initial media reports. First, it was reported that Hood texted her son, telling him to come to her aid during the altercation. That's allegedly when the teen came into the restaurant and fired at Brown. Brown ran from the restaurant, followed by the son, who fired again at his mother's insistence, killing Brown. It was then reported that Hood and her son jumped in her vehicle and fled the scene. What followed was a frenzy of media coverage of this situation. The immediate reaction of the public, based on the news coverage, was complete disbelief. What kind of mother would turn her child into a murderer? 
There were accounts that the mother ordered her son to kill not only Brown, but also his girlfriend, who was with him at the time. Now, the stories made Hood and her son out to be common criminals, now on the run from the law. Another day on the south side of Chicago, where young black men carry illegal handguns and shoot people in front of terrified witnesses. What made this case seem even more depraved was this young man acted on his mother's wishes. There's a saying, though, believe half of what you see, none of what you hear. That is fitting for a case like this. On Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, Carlisha Hood and her son turned themselves in to authorities and were placed under arrest. Both were charged with first-degree murder with an additional charge of contributing to the delinquency of a minor for the mother. Ms. Hood's bond was set at a jaw-dropping $3 million and her son was placed in juvenile custody. For a few days, it seemed that would be where the story would end until their trial, and that led to a very split public. Many felt the mother and son duo were getting exactly what they deserved, while others felt very, very differently. Others includes me. While I feel like Hood made a poor decision when she left the scene of the incident, I thought the level of force against Brown was justified. According to the footage I saw, he had struck her in the face and there was no telling what he would do next. The son shot him in defense of his mom. Then, when Brown ran from the restaurant, which remember is a walk-up, given the display of violence he just enacted in full view of other patrons and the restaurant staff, he was still a threat. He may have gone to his own vehicle to retrieve a weapon. The threat was still imminent when he was shot again. In Illinois, you can use force to defend yourself or someone else if you feel like you are in danger. You can also use force to protect your property, but the force you use has to be reasonable. For example, if someone is trying to rob you, you can't just shoot them. You would have to use a reasonable amount of force to stop them, like pushing them away or yelling at them. If you use too much force, you could be charged, like Ms. Hood and her son, with murder. To use self-defense in a murder case, you have to show that you were in danger and that you used the force that you thought was necessary to stop the threat. A judge or jury will decide if the force you used was reasonable. They'll look at the facts of the case and decide if a reasonable person would have done the same thing. Based on the facts as we all know them, and seeing that I'm a reasonable person, I thought the first-degree murder charge was mind-boggling. The absolute most I thought was warranted was fleeing the scene of a crime. Of course, I'm no attorney. I have a very law and order understanding of the law. If there are a such thing as armchair counsel, I count myself as the Perry Mason of them all. But if ever a case screamed self-defense, it's this one. Especially when, in good old Florida, a woman shot her neighbor through a locked door after harassing and slurring this woman's children and is only being charged with manslaughter. As I combed through the comments on the video, I was shocked at how many people, women and men alike, were actually defending Jeremy Brown. Stuff that seems baffling to me like she should have listened to him and she should have just walked away. Like maybe he should have walked away. Maybe he shouldn't have hit her. 
I understand there are many reasons people defend this kind of behavior from others. A physical abuse is such a normal activity to some, they see absolutely nothing wrong with a man punching a woman, especially one he doesn't even know. In some women, there is this internalized misogyny. They believe women are innately inferior to men and deserve to be treated badly. There are also those who may be involved in an abusive relationship themselves, which leads to cognitive dissonance. They'll sometimes minimize and defend abuse. And in the age of social media, folks tend to find echo chambers where they are only exposed to information that confirms their existing beliefs. That makes it hard for them to see the truth about what healthy interactions between men and women look like. Then I wondered why no one intervened before the situation escalated. I began to consider what I would have done. Now it's easy to say I would have done something because I wasn't involved in the situation. So I had to explore why nobody did anything. There were others in the line and the employees of the restaurant, yet no one came to this woman's defense. So why didn't anyone help? It's possible the biggest reason is fear. People may be afraid of getting involved in a situation or as being seen as a troublemaker. They may also be afraid of the attacker, just as afraid of the victim is themselves, or of being seen as a bystander. Then there's inaction bias. This is the tendency to do nothing when faced with a situation that is dangerous or threatening. This bias can be caused by a number of factors, such as the bystander effect, which we'll get into a little bit more later, the fusion of re responsibility and social influence. Then there's a lack of knowledge. People might not know what to do if they see someone being attacked. They may also be afraid of making the situation worse. There's uncertainty. People might not be sure if the situation is actually going to turn dangerous. They may also be afraid of intervening if they're not sure what's going on. Of course, there's always peer pressure. People might feel pressure from others not to intervene. They may be afraid of being ridiculed or ostracized if they do. And then there are those who simply don't care about the victim or the situation. They may be indifferent to the suffering of others, or they may believe that it's not their problem. It's important to remember that there is no one reason why someone might choose to record an incident with their cell phone instead of calling the police. Every situation is different and people's reasons for inaction will vary. However, it's important to be aware of these factors so that we can better be prepared to intervene if we see someone being attacked. If you see someone being attacked, it's important to assess the situation and decide if it's safe to intervene. If you do decide to intervene, there are a few things you can do. You can call for help. If you're alone, call for help as soon as possible. This will alert others to the situation and help to ensure that the victim is safe. De-escalate the situation. If possible, try to de-escalate the situation by talking to the attacker and trying to calm them down or physically intervene. If the situation is dangerous and you believe that the victim is in immediate danger, you may need to physically intervene. However, it's also important to do so safely and only to use the amount of force necessary to stop the attack. It's also important to remember that you don't have to intervene alone. If you see someone being attacked, ask others for help. There's strength and safety in numbers and together you can make a difference. In addition to all the, the reasons I just listed, there's also the bystander effect. Now the bystander effect is the tendency for people to be less likely to help someone in need if there are other people present. This is because people assume that someone else will help or that they'll be blamed if they do something wrong. 
The bystander effect can be a powerful force and it can prevent people from intervening in situations where they should. If you see someone being attacked, it's important to be aware of the bystander effect and to overcome it at all costs. You can do this by being the first person to act or by encouraging others to help. Anyway, back to half of what you see, none of what you hear, because there was more to the story. You see, the video we initially saw was only half of the story. A longer video began making the rounds and that one showed a prolonged attack on Hood by Brown. He punched her several times before the shot rang out. It also showed Hood telling her son to go back to the car, meaning she didn't instruct him to come under the awning. He saw what was happening with his mother and was coming to her aid. He also retrieved her legally owned and registered handgun from her glove box in case he needed it against the 32-year-old Brown. That's right. Carlisha Hood has no criminal background and her weapon was legally obtained and registered in Illinois which has some of the toughest gun laws in the United States. Further, she had a concealed carry license, which requires the individual to be 21 years old, have a valid firearm owner's ID card, complete 16 hours of in-class training, pass a background check, uh, submit fingerprints, and pay a fee. Only a law-abiding Chicagoan would do all that. Lastly, there's no indication from the footage I've seen that Hood encouraged her son to kill Brown and his girlfriend. It's just not there. There's also surveillance video from the restaurant that was turned over to authorities. This emerging evidence was what compelled the Cook County State's Attorney's Office on June 26, 2023 to drop all charges on Hood and her son. The video footage proved that Hood was in line, Brown walked to the line shortly after, and the attack was seemingly unprovoked. It's so discouraging that the Chicago news media ran with a story that had not been vetted thoroughly. Like I have previously mentioned, it was an error in judgment for Hood and her son to leave the scene of the incident, but who knows what possessed them to leave. Miss Hood was just the victim of a horrific attack and her son had just shot a man. I'm pretty sure their mind state was pretty fragile at this point. And even though it was in self-defense, there are still psychological repercussions like post-traumatic or acute stress disorder, trauma-related guilt, fear, avoidance, and dissociation. Everyone experiences trauma different. Some people may experience only a few of those symptoms I just mentioned, while others may experience them all. Also, as a side note, in addition to the people directly involved in this event, the witnesses may also experience psychological consequences. Witnesses may feel shock, horror, guilt, or fear. They may also have difficulty sleeping or concentrating. And in some cases, witnesses may also develop PTSD or other trauma-related disorders. Now think, if you were in that line and you thought that maybe you could have done something and this young man would not have lost his life foolishly, you might feel guilt about that after the shock and horror of it all wears off. I also think the Chicago police and the prosecutors jumped the gun a little on this case. I think in part they were reacting to the fact that Ms. Hood and her son left the scene of the incident, but maybe, just maybe, they could have retrieved all of the videos before jumping out the window. Carlisha Hood's attorneys feel the same way I do, which is why there is now a lawsuit being filed against the Chicago police 
and the Cook County's State's Attorney's Office for false arrest and malicious prosecution, which led to emotional distress of both Ms. Hood and her young son. We also need to ask ourselves why there was such a rush to judgment before learning all of the facts. Has Chicago's justice apparatus become jaded by the crime rate in the area? What are your thoughts on the whole sordid mess? I'd love to hear what you think. Uh, you can send any and all feedback to Sinister Silhouettes Podcast at gmail.com. That's all we've got for the Carlisha Hood case. I will keep you informed if any updates arise out of this situation in Chicago. I'd like to thank you once again for joining me here on Sinister Silhouettes and respectfully ask again for your ratings and reviews and to share this episode with a friend. Join me here next week as we delve into another twisted topic. And until then, shadowy sleuths, stay safe out there. Peace. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.